welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, February 1st, 2018, otherwise known as No Politics Day. So today, just this once, we're not going to give you any of that biting commentary on all things Capitol Hill related. Instead, just listen to us talk about, I don't know, what, four by eight sheets of plywood and YouTube or something. Who knows what we'll talk about. But anyhow, I'm Chris Salamone, and with me as always are Mike Montgomery and Ben Ueda. Hi. <laughs> that, that on my end, that was like you guys owe each other a coke. On yeah, my end, I know. That was perfectly timed. I think we were both waiting for the other one to go first. It was a well, stalemate. That was if very ever nice. There were one. That was a very nice intro, and Thank we you. will withhold from scathing political commentary. Yep, not just gonna this be time. your average show. Just this once, Mike. What All have right. you been working on? I've been working on the workbench, and it's coming oh, yeah. out pretty good. Uh, it came out to 90 bucks in lumber, so I'm really excited. It's like a really solid workbench for under 100 bucks, which is mm-hmm. a good YouTube title for the video. So I'm excited <laughs> about that. You made it in. <laughs> but yeah, it's coming along cool. It's all out of 2x4s. The video should be out on Thursday. Uh, I, I did a couple different joinery methods. So the legs are two... 2x4s glued face-to-face to make a good sturdy kind of 4x4 to where I have a good thick leg. Mm-hmm. And I've got stretchers running in either directions. And in, and uh, to do that, I basically made a half lap in the leg that the stretcher goes into. And the plan initially was just to cut all of these half laps on the table saw, and it would all be really good. But I know a lot of people that watch my channels maybe don't have a table saw mm-hmm. yet. So I came up with a cool little idea of... I don't know. It's kind of like the stacked plywood idea of instead of subtracting wood, only adding it in specific places. So I basically mm-hmm. made the half laps for one of the legs just for the sake of demonstration in the glue up. So instead of two 30 inch pieces of wood that I glued together to make this leg, I got one yeah. 30 inch piece. That's the outside. Then, you know, an eight inch piece. Then I left a three and a half inch gap. Then I did the 18 inch piece. And then there's a three and a half inch gap at the top as well to where Mm-hmm. I, the half lap was made in the glue up. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. It was the first time I ever did anything like that. And I think yeah, it just it, makes it a little bit more accessible for somebody that might not have a table saw. It's sort of a concept of subtraction by addition, right? right. Like you want to make uh, mortises or in this case, a lap joint. And you're doing it not by removing material, but by laminating and adding material with the gaps in it. Mm-hmm. I'm actually working on something pretty similar for the next uh, kitchen island that I'm working on. I actually did almost the exact same thing recently too. I don't think I've talked about it on here yet. And I think it doesn't going to, I don't think it'll come out for a few weeks, but it'll be my next dwell project, which is kind of like a modern minimalist shoe bench. And mm. it, it actually looks pretty aesthetically similar to that first bench that I built, except for instead of having like a solid top, it's just slats. So you couldn't really sit on it. It's more just to set your shoes on. And it has two tiers instead of one. But like the cross pieces that all of those slats sit on are all basically a half lap joint that's built up through instead of cutting it in by building up material to, to awesome. make a joint. And it worked yeah, out pretty so, well? Yeah, it came out really good. Built Sweet. up joints like that are a great way for sort of beginners to get started into places um, because it's, it makes it a little bit more like playing with Legos. You cut all your pieces and then when you have that baseline of a whole kit of parts, then you assemble from there. So I think it simplifies the preparation of the component step and then the sort of construction step Mm -hmm. um, and might make things a little bit easier for people that that don't have a ton of experience. 
Yeah, I think yeah, also exactly. it makes getting those kind like when the joint is finished, it's usually a lot cleaner than if you had cut it in after the fact because that's where a lot of like the precision and the more expensive things like you know having the right blades and all that you can cut it with anything, but it's like getting that really nice, clean looking crisp edge comes from like, that's that last 5% of all the extra work and all the extra money in in the tools. Whereas if you're building it up this way, like all the cuts that you're making are really simple. You're just, you know, making cross cuts or whatever on a a miter saw or table saw or wherever. And they're pretty clean. And I don't know, it's just like a, a cheap way to get a clean looking joint. Yeah, because you're able to use the actual piece that will be eventually glued into that gap to make the gap. So you're referencing what's going to go in it. So there's really a really low margin for error. Um, But yeah, it should be cool. I'm waiting to put a vise on it and I'm waiting to do any kind of uh, like casters or anything like that until like a second video or a follow up video one because... Looking into it, there are way too many vice options, and I got a little bit paralyzed whenever I was deciding on one to get. And so if I ordered one now, it wouldn't be here in time anyways. And so I'm waiting, and I might do a part two on the second channel. Um, that's just like a follow-up where I add like maybe dog holes, a vice, um, some accessories once I figure out what exactly I want to put in there. And I'm going to keep the, the main video just about the structure of the workbench itself because I find that... A lot of people like to customize their workbenches, mm-hmm. and some people like to customize them a lot. Some people like to keep it simple. Um, I think I lean towards pretty simple. All I really want is an invice and dog holes on it, but I know some people like to go a little overboard with that kind of stuff. So um, I want to keep the main video just bare bones and then let people add on to it from there. Nice. Because if I put a vice on, or if I, because the way I look at it is if I put this vice on or that vice on, there's going to be somebody that doesn't like it on both sides. So no matter what, I feel like I'm going to get some, you should have done this. And so I'm just going to avoid it and say, you do it. You figure it out. There are plenty of videos out there showing how. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. what do you got going on? Let's see. I'm going to be real quick today because I know we're kind of up against it on, on a hard out. So I already talked about the Grizzly Challenge last week. So that video will come out this th- so today. You that didn't tell us anything about what you were building, though. You were just talking okay. about the challenge of the wood itself. I built, so I built a side table. I, I used two of the species of wood. I think I might have mentioned that. And it's like 90% of it is made from one of the species. And then the other one's just kind of like, I wouldn't say accent pieces. They're still definitely structural pieces in there. But there's a lot less of it. Gotcha. Um, so that was my, I guess, attempt at kind of toning it down a little bit. And I think the project came out like decent looking when you look at it from far, from far away. And like, especially if you look at, if you see the thumbnails that I make, if you really like squint and you have bad eyesight and it's across like a really long hallway, it's not bad. And the lights um, are off and yeah, (laughs) your back is turned. Yeah. And someone's just describing it to you. It's it's serviceable. No, it's a, I think like you'll see in the thumbnails, I use like it, it's very heavy contrast or dramatic lighting. I think then it kind of looks cool and it casts a cool shadow onto the wall, but definitely not one of my more, I don't know, I guess favorite things that I've built on my channel. And that's because of the wood, you think, right? I I think a lot of it has to do with the wood. I think the wood and then that dictating what I decided to build and trying to build something a lot more boxy, which mm-hmm. I don't like. So I think it all kind of like, led into itself and maybe it exacerbated the situation of me not liking it because of that. But I blame the wood. I think it all starts (laughs) with the wood. I had no hand in this. 
Blame yeah. it on the wood. Yep. It's what a good craftsman does. Blames his wood. <laughs> and a good oh never mind. <laughs> what do you got going, Ben? I'm gonna cut it I'm gonna cut myself off there. I am in Venice, California, and I am uh, been mostly stationed on Abbott Kinney. Shout out to all the people that came by and said hi. Uh, it was really awesome. Uh, I was working there all this weekend building out a shoe store for a sneaker company called The Greats. Did you get it all done? Not even close. Still oh, got, okay. I was going to be so really surprised if you did. Still got about two weeks left on the on the build. It's uh, It's about a... 700 or 800 square foot shop and it's an old little california style craftsman bungalow so it's a really cool space um it was pretty nasty and dirty so there was probably like two or three days of just cleaning a little bit of light demo work and i had to put up some drywall partition walls which i hadn't really done before so there's a little bit of two by four framing out walls hanging in some drywall uh, which is uh, no easy feat. Um, <laughs> so it, it was fun. It was it was doing a little bit of construction, and the floors of the space are ipe. They're actually deck boards. So oh, they're wow. like sixteen foot long, five and a half inch wide ipe deck boards with about quarter inch gaps. So it's kind of an unusual thing that the the inside floor of this space was actually made with exterior decking material. And it had this kind of very orangish, dark color. And, uh, you know, Ipe, you can't really stain it. It's so oily. There's no sort of like whitewash. It's just going to resist everything. Hmm. So we decided to paint it. And it was, you know, no easy feat to sort of paint it. So we had to scuff it first. So kind of rough it up with sandpaper. And then wash it really uh, down with acetone or wood conditioner. We used acetone because we had some on, on, on site because you have to sort of remove some of that oil and dust to get the, the paint to stick to such oily wood. Um, but it brought up, uh, when I posted on my Instagram story, the fact that we were rolling white paint over dark wood and it looked much better than it, than it does. In real life, it doesn't look that good. Um, in the Instagram story, the way the lighting was, it looked like it was like walnut floors, which it was not. Yeah. So people were like freaking out like, oh my God, why are you painting over the wood floors? That wood floor is beautiful. So the topic today is when is it okay to paint over wood? Because I think as a, as a general rule, most of us wouldn't do that too often. Um, right. But recently we've all talked about a few sort of uh, interesting opportunities where we think that the adding color or in my case, sort of painting the floors white is actually the right sort of design move, even though it's sort of counterintuitive to how we normally typically think about materials. So in this case, I know that the star of this show is going to be these CNC pedestals. And also, uh, shout out to my dad. We got two uh, X-Carves from Inventables, and uh, they got sent out here before I arrived. And I was very pleased to see that my dad, Whitney, had set them all up. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So it's good to see that at least one person in our family is good at following instructions. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not me. So the plan is is to run these two X-Carves to take this really blonde plywood and CNC these uh, pedestal displays for all the shoes. So it's going to be a very organic form. It should be pretty cool looking. 
but the wood's a really light blonde color. And that which the dark orange Ipe I don't think would look that great. So that's why I'm sort of electing to uh, paint it all uh, a nice uh, low luster white. And I actually found a, a paint that's meant for uh, patios. So it's a floor grade paint. Um, so the sort of my thinking is whenever you have like a really dark wood floor, I always don't like the way sort of light wood furniture looks in it. Um, yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying that when you have dark wood floors, the interior setup that I typically like is something that's a little bit more like a library, a little bit darker walls and things like that. For me, that's not the sort of, you know, the type of color setting that I want for a retail display that's going to have colorful shoes, leather shoes, Mm -hmm. uh, and stuff like that. So I really want the shoes to pop. So I want it to feel more like an art gallery than a smoking den. So that was the sort of justification behind uh, painting it. But it was really funny. I totally didn't think of it when I posted this story that, oh, of course people are going to react really strongly when they see dark wood floorboards and they see you rolling paint right over them. Yes. Uh, Chris, have you ever done anything? Have you ever painted anything other than – I remember the console table that you just put out. I remember the doors on that. But I'm trying to look back and think of what you've painted before. Everything I've done on video has just been plywood. It's like nothing where people are going to have a heart attack seeing me paint it. It's funny, though, that you said it. I actually thought about doing it with this video at the end because I do talk about at the end how I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not thrilled with this kind of wood. I'm not saying that nobody should work with it. It's just not my thing, blah, blah, blah. And I thought it would be kind of cool to like paint the whole thing just like a matte black and see what it looks like. And I think people would really freak out about that because this is like fancy wood. And it's like, what are you doing covering it up? In fact, (laughs) I remember seeing... Like a few years ago, I remember seeing an April Fool's joke on something where it was supposedly like there's this designer and that was his thing is that like he would build these pieces out of this really nice wood and then paint it black. And like that was the value of it is that like you never knew what kind of wood was under there. You know, your mind would run wild with like, is it this really great piece or is it a, you know, just a mediocre piece or whatever? It was an April Hmm. Fool's joke. But um, I, I have not done that. But based off of so, uh, yeah, like I think, Ben, you talked about it. I don't remember what episode it was, but a couple of weeks ago we were talking about um, color and like different products that we could use to introduce it. So somebody reached out to me after that episode and they recommended a product called Rich Light. Have you guys ever heard of that? Yes. I have. Yeah. So it's like a paper based product. Yep. I think it's like recycled paper. If you just search Rich Light and you can it's see like a, a whole thing about how they produce it. It's a countertop grade material, similar, performs similar to Corian. And it's made from heat-compressed paper scraps that's mm. resin-impregnated. Mm-hmm. Kind of like micarta. Yeah, a little bit like that. Um, cool. It, it's a nice material. It was marketed uh, in the early 2000s as a sort of green or sustainable material. S- simple. T- uh, an alternative would be Paper Stone, I think, was another brand. It also ha- can have a nice uh, matte or the honed finish. It yeah. makes it appear a little bit like something in between Corian and uh, honed slate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I found out about that. I reached out to them and just to get some more information, basically. And now I have a contact that – it's actually a plywood place that I didn't even know about that's like – a lot closer than where I go to get my plywood right now. So I'm definitely going to go check out the store at the very least, but they're the local, like, I don't know, retailer for it or dealer for it or whatever for me. So I got the guy's contact information. I'm going to talk to him and see about maybe playing around with that. And then another thing that I did, which I'm going to 
play around with was I ordered some like 3M vinyl car wrap, you know, what people wrap their cars with. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I'm going to play around with that too. That's real I mean, matte looking, right? Yeah. Well, they make it, that's the cool thing is so if it works out, it's they have it in like every color, every metallic, matte, like every kind of sheen you could and color you could think of. You know, they have is like it an adhesive that it sticks on? How, how, what's the, the backing? It's, is it like a sticker? It's, yeah, it's got an adhesive back to it. So it's basically, I think it's like a thin vinyl. It, you know, you peel the back to like start it and then that exposes the adhesive and it's like got like really small grids, uh, like square grids so that there's air in between it. And so that's so that you can like push the bubbles out of it. Mm. You know, you can oh, squeegee wow. them out. Um, putting it on a, a really flat surface, like a drawer front, I would think would be pretty easy. You know, it's more like when you get into crazy compound curves that where people start having trouble. But like I've watched a few videos of people doing it and it looks like to get around tight curves, you pr- you basically just heat it up with like a either a hairdryer or like a, you know, a heat gun. And then uh, it becomes a lot more malleable. Um, That's cool. I, yeah. So I'm going to play around with that. and Because, man, if that works out, I think that would be a really great solution for doing colorful like at least drawer fronts and, and actually anything because it's made to wrap around a car. So a car is a yeah, lot more sounds, shapely than a piece of furniture. Yeah, is. that sounds really cool. What was the, the paper-based product you were talking about called again? I'm sorry. I just want to write it down. Rich Light. Rich Light. Okay, cool. Yeah. And just Paper like Stone is the other option. Paper Stone. Okay, cool. I want to look into those too. Yeah, they're not they're not cheap, um, but they're, 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 nice, they're nice materials. They're, the Rich Light... Ha- is something that you would see a lot in like kindergartens, uh, like art rooms and stuff like that for like the tabletops and stuff. Okay. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, right? The, the the thing that sort of made me think about this as a topic was anytime I see a sort of consensus point of view within a community uh, for for good reason. It's interesting to sort of examine that and make sure that we're not all suffering from groupthink and that we're not missing the sort of counterintuitive opportunities that are, are great chances to sort of differentiate what we're doing. So I would say that it, it, it's a pretty safe assumption to say that most of us, you know, if we're, if we're taking the time to work with wood, aren't going to be covering it up with paint. Probably um, not. And especially in a sort of a content game, which we're all in, that means that a lot of the thumbnails of the other people sort of doing woodworking type projects are all going to have the same tones and hues in them. Mm-hmm. Browns, oranges, yellows, sort of those warmer earth sort of wood tones. So one way to sort of look at paint, even though you may think it's sacrilegious to wood, it can be an occasional great opportunity to differentiate simply from the sea of other things. Um, and so that that's the sort of that that point of differentiation is is an interesting idea that makes it not necessarily a good idea, but certainly worth considering how you could incorporate color in an interesting way. Right. You know, I would say that again from a very small sample size, but the projects that I've had that have incorporated some pop of color have tended to do better on average, I think, than the other things I do. I don't think that's necessarily because of the pop of color. Maybe it was just a good project or whatever. But I think maybe it could have to do with the way you, the way somebody experiences something online compared to being in the room with it. You lose a lot of the details. And so having like pops of color are a good way to introduce detail on a kind of 
I don't know, it probably almost looks better on camera than in real life. Like it's almost like, um, I don't know, what, like prop furniture or something like that, where yeah. it, it's little tricks that you can use like that, that like help to add, vis- it's like a, a cheap way to add visual interest to something. Right. I'm like, if I was used to use that console table, you built again, like if everything was walnut, it would just be a, a it's just yeah. a big brown thing. Once, once it gets down to a thumbnail, everything just turns into blobs of things. But now that you mm-hmm. have the painted doors, it's like, okay, I can see more of what it is rather than just being a big brown thing. Um, and so, yeah. And it's kind of like the whole thing I've been thinking of while you've been talking about it is it's like focusing on where the value is, where what you're talking about, Chris, the value, and you've said this before, the value isn't in the material. It's more in the silhouette. It's more in the shape for you. And then mm-hmm. Ben, with the storefront, the value isn't the store. The value should be what the people are selling in the store. Right. And so it's it's all like it's like a deciding where you want the point of focus to be. And a lot of times, like if you're working with reclaimed wood and you're building a farmhouse table, the shape isn't that insane and groundbreaking. It's cool, yes, but the money or the value or the perceived value, if nothing else, is in the the wood itself, the character in the wood, and how unique the wood itself is, rather than how unique the design is. So it's all where the emphasis is put in, uh, the the value emphasis, I guess, is what I would call it. Right. And for, you know, if I'm doing making a piece out of woodworking, I'm much less likely to paint it than if I'm making a room that's assembled out of wood, then I, mm-hmm. I'm more likely to paint it. So I've always noticed that when I photograph my pieces, the wood pieces on a wood floor are much more difficult to get a great photo than they are on a gray concrete floor or a white floor. doesn't matter what the species of wood is. It could be the cheapest pine. It looks great on a white background with a white floor or it looks great with a concrete floor and a white background or any combination because it's not none of the color is having to compete and match with any other sort of colored surfaces in the space. So for floors, I have a much different approach than anything else. The way that sort of the analogy I would think of is sort of denim when it comes to personal fashion, right? So blue jeans are probably the most common pant choice of our audience. I would think that's safe to sort of assume. I'm a white jean man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the minute you go to sort of a gray or a black or something else, it lets you wear sort of denim or blue somewhere else without looking like you're in a t- Canadian tuxedo, <laughs> so, right? Like, so blue jeans might be the sort of obvious choice for most people, but then that kind of limits, you know, you're, you're almost using your blue card in that slot. So if you go <laughs> matching denim shirt, it can be, it, it can be a whole lot of, a whole lot of denim. You're going to look like Jay Leno. <laughs> denim on denim. <laughs> you look like Jay Leno. <laughs> right. So occasionally, that, that's how I was, sort of, I was uh, uh, seeing this, is that normally I would leave the floors wood, but this was the opportunity to sort of go low or go no saturation or no color for the flooring, which frees me up for the, the equivalent of the, the wall displays or shirt portion. I can be a little more freaky with the the wood tones. You know what else I was thinking about for now, I guess we're just kind of getting off onto the topic of just introducing color into projects in general. So I think that one rule of thumb I would give to people is to like 
definitely use it and don't be afraid of bold colors, but use them sparingly. And I think that kind of goes with anything design-wise. Like it's always good to do a little bit less usually than more. So I think a good example of that would be the simpler wall organizer. How, you know, if I said, oh, I want to introduce some color to it, I could have painted every other stripe a different color or alternated two colors on every, but I didn't. I just painted one of the little stripes white, one of the little stripes that like coral color. I think that actually does more than than doing it the other way where it starts to become kind of gimmicky. Mm-hmm. And so like to go back to Mike, the point that you made about how painting the doors on the one project just like helped to make the whole thing not kind of muddled together. I think you could even do it with less. So like right now I'm one of the next things that I'm going to build is a dresser for the baby's room. And I'm still kind of playing around with species and color. I've, I've, I had a bunch of different ideas for color combos that I've like played around with and made some renders for, and none of it was really working for me. So I went and bought the materials and I just bought all walnut. And now I'm kind of thinking, what would it look like? So it's four, four drawers and then one big door on the right-hand side. Even just doing one of those drawers in a pop of color could like really help to break the whole thing up. Oh, no doubt. But it's, it's what you were talking about. The one thing is like, it's an exercise in restraint because mm-hmm. the, the, the analogy I always, that I would think about is Greg Klassen is amazing. I think most people are aware of Greg Klassen that are listening. He makes the river tables, which are really cool live edge tables mm-hmm. with like the whole glass inset. And that yeah. is really, really interesting. But if you look at his tables, on 90% of them, there's a few of them that aren't. The bases are really, really simple. And if you look at most good, what I would consider good live edge furniture, the bases are like really simple square, like steel legs, or there's something along those lines where it's like not trying to compete. Yeah. And it's the same way, like, um, I guess like whenever I listen to like 80s hair metal, which my dad listened to yeah. a lot, that that's like the perfect example of like no restraint. We're going to like sing really obnoxiously, which if that's what you're into, that's cool. I'm not trying to put it down, but it's like, it's not like a, uh, it's not chill whatsoever. Um, And it's like the guitarists are amazing, but just because you're an amazing guitarist doesn't mean you need like a guitar solo in every song. Right. Yeah. Because then it really, then it diminishes, it diminishes the value of the next guitar solo. So whenever you're putting in like one stripe of one color, one stripe of another, it's a really cool detail. But like what you're saying is if you put two alternating colors on every stripe, it would really lose like it would lose the power that those two stripes have on their own. Yeah, I know Ben, he always likes to make food analogies whenever we do these things. So I think you could make a food analogy for this one where if you're like, okay, I'm just going to take all my favorite ingredients and throw them in a pot. And like you think like it's going to be the greatest (laughs) thing ever. It's probably going to be pretty gross. Like, I don't know. I love a good pastrami sandwich, but I'll keep it simple with a mustard and pickle instead of putting some uh, chocolate multiball crunch ice cream on top of it. No, it it made me think of who's the woodworking equivalent of like a hairband and... uh, (laughs) My mind immediately goes to Toth, like, uh, or Kyle Toth. Uh, I always call him Toth, like Daniel Tosh, but it's a uh, Kyle Toth. Toth like both. Kyle Toth is the nine-minute guitar solo of woodworking, <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> so definitely, it's working if you don't him. know what I'm talking about, you should. So check out, just Google Kyle Toth. He does some incredibly epic uh, visual statements in wood. I, I would even say it's a little bit more than woodworking. It's more he's... He's expressing certain forms and and yeah, techniques. He's done a, he's done and a great wood just job. Just happens to be the medium. 
Yeah, he's done a really good job of developing a style that is. Yeah, very and unique. when when you watch my video this Thursday out today on the Grizzly Challenge, he's also part of that. So there'll be links to his video within my video. So I don't know though. I have to. I kind of yeah. have to argue though. He does. I don't know if he's quite the hair metal band because it is, but he because he does everything so tastefully too though. Um, like I, I just popped onto his website so that I could confirm what I was thinking. Um, that whole like leopard print pattern thing that he does, mm-hmm. deaf awesome. leopard. Yeah, the deaf leopard print that he does. <laughs> Essentially, I don't understand it fully, um, but what I assume or what I understand of it is he gets a layer of some kind of like black wood, like an ebony or some sort of veneer that's just like black, but it's also very thin, like an eighth of an inch thick, and that's laid mm-hmm. on top of you know a lighter wood, a contrasting like maple or oak underneath. Yeah, and he uses like a little palm router kind of thing to basically carve away the black to reveal the light wood underneath. And he makes all kinds of patterns and stuff with that. Um, and the one that really stuck out to me was he built a round dining table and mm-hmm. it's got this like flower design on the top using this leopard print pattern. But in a great exercise of restraint, the base is just that same light wood that's underneath. Um, he just made like a, a, a round, very like mid-century pedestal table base, kind of like what you see a lot from like Ikea and stuff, um, but a lot better. Um, but that's just the plain wood and it's really simple and it's quiet and it's letting the the top be the guitar solo while the bass is just like a smooth bass line, just like keeping everything going and letting you focus yeah. on the top rather than trying to compete with it. You can't have your bass guy trying to bass solo over your guitar solo. That's the analogy. Doesn't work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Everybody's solo at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think when I used to do a lot of graphic design, this was something that is always like the bane of any graphic designer's existence that has to work with clients is they want everything to be the most important thing. And right. It's like, well, that can't be. As soon as you make everything bigger, then nothing is bigger. It's right. all relative. So I think those same sorts of principles pretty much work in any medium, I think, is that, you know, you have to back off to let things be, know what the star of something is and let that thing be the star and let the other parts of that thing, this is all very general, obviously, work to serve whatever you're trying to highlight. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it kind of made me think when you said that of the floor at the store, Ben, you're doing... You could have painted the floor any color, but it would have been dumb, I think, to paint it anything but like white or maybe an off-white or light gray. Yeah. Um, because once again, now now you're trying to compete, whereas now you have like – it literally, I guess, would remind me of a canvas because you've got white walls, white floors, and you know the pieces that they're going to be selling and the furniture inside of it, that's what people are forced to look at. Yeah. Everything else so. can kind of fade to the background exactly. while the shoes take center stage. So I think the big takeaway – or at least for me, the takeaway is one, exercise restraint. But two, is it's like find one thing. If every good piece that I can think of has like one thing that's purposefully what you're supposed to be focusing on. On this table I'm talking about of Kyle's, you're supposed to look at the top and everything else is playing a supporting role to that. Mm -hmm. It's all feeding into the same thing, but it's it's, it's playing that supportive role. If you're looking at Greg Klassen... Same thing. You're supposed to look at the top. You're supposed to look at the river. Everything else is playing a supporting role to that. Um, so, yeah, my big right. takeaway right. is, like, find the one thing, not find the five things that people can focus on. Right. And consider it as an opportunity for differentiation, right? Like, 
if, if most people in woodworking think that way, then there is an opportunity to differentiate using that. So we've seen people come to the forefront in woodworking communities by doing one kind of innovative thing, like mm-hmm. the guy that stitches together the slabs with like copper wire oh, yeah. and that kind of crisscross pattern. Or, you know, uh, the sort of river style inlays in live edge wood where the, the live edges face in and then they cut a piece of glass to sort of fit in. It kind of looks like, you know, a river on two riverbanks of wood. Mm-hmm. You know, now a lot of people are sort of are, are doing designs like that. So the, the points of innovation often come from the addition of one key element that's in such high contrast to everything else around it that it makes the whole piece stand out dramatically. So I think one of these days we should definitely do uh, some sort of color challenge in sort of a woodworking project. Mm. The takeaway that I would say uh, for me is that um, it doesn't mean you paint all your projects. It doesn't mean you should paint all your projects. But every once in a while, maybe like you know, one out of ten, or if you're building a prototype of something and you're using like a cheaper material just to try to figure it out, like what, maybe you're doing a, a plywood mock-up that you then may later build a hardwood version of it, but you're kind of trying to work out the the kinks of the design. That might be a great opportunity to sort of experiment more dramatically with with color. Awesome. I dig it. It'll be the paint your wood challenge. (laughs) Well, yeah, it could end horribly on social media. (laughs) Well, that's what I was thinking. Maybe it'll make it like really blow up. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be viral for all the wrong reasons. Has anybody ever made a island an island table so like somebody has to have made something like this so just think of if a river table has the live edges put to the inside and then they fill it in with glass but if you have the live edges on the outside still and Mm. then but like circular and then had a piece of glass that went around it where it like met up with the live edge i've seen what you would call a lake table so like with the river table it goes it flows through the table but with the lake yeah it's it's all like contained like you would use um like a round stump, like if okay. you were to chainsaw a tree. Because you know how trees sometimes are hollow, like the middle of them rots out? Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, Jesse, so my sister Jesse made a cone table, which is sort of like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, but the cone going through it? Right. So it's sort of the wood is supported on an island around it. So you could kind of make a wood cone or kind of thing like that that almost had like a glass donut that kind of goes around it. it now I'm hungry. an island table. <laughs> it'd be a wood mountain you know like yeah because a lot of people are into those sort of topography looking like the mm-hmm. the furniture pieces that look like a topographical map with some mm-hmm. sort of resin or glass inlay so you could could sort of achieve something like that do it chris i'm not gonna do it but somebody do it do it man that would blow up those types of tables like are internet gold as they would call it internet gold baby <laughs> then i'll be floating down the river of easy street that awesome. Have you guys uh, have you guys been watching anything lately? Actually, the guy I talked about last week, Johnny Builds, he put out a cool video like yesterday, I think, or well, three days ago. <laughs> um, it's a, a plywood dining table, which are always cool to see how people tackle that same challenge in a different way. You know, making yep. something. I, I always think that's just a, a good go to cool project because it's making something big and useful out of, you know, pretty easy to use and, and inexpensive materials. So he did a good job with it. So go check out Johnny Build's newest video. What about you, Mike? 
I'm going to say mine, which I don't even have it yet, but it's on the way, and I'm just really excited to try it out, is the beadlock from Rockler, okay. um, which is a joinery method that we've talked about before. Um, essentially, it's if you were to marry a dowling jig with a festool domino, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's the speed and efficiency of a dowling jig with the structural integrity of the domino. Um, so it's a little bit of trade-off in time, but for I, th- I think for like the general hobby guy that's not trying to you know worry about if he has to spend an extra thirty minutes on a specific task, um, you know I think it would it fits that niche really perfectly. So I'm excited to try it out. I've got a couple projects in mind for it. Um, so yeah, if you guys, if anybody listening has used it and has any tips or tricks on it, I would love to hear some. Uh, hear that, so I don't make any mistakes. For me, it's going to be a recommendation for an Instagram feed called Dezine, D-E-Z-E-E-N. And it's sort of a combination of architecture, product design, uh, furniture design, and pretty much just design in general. But it's a great Instagram feed. There's a lot of inspiration. It's all over the place in terms of genres and design professions. And I find it like a a nice... uh, you know, I don't always go deep in sort of out in looking at the sort of daily sort of posts, but every once in a while, I'll just go on a deep dive. I'll I'll click over to the feed and just look at you know scan through sort of twenty or thirty of their last posts, and uh, almost always find something that informs me, challenges me, uh, makes me think about uh, color, space, materiality, and all those things a little bit differently. So check out uh, the Zine on Instagram. I got a hypothetical for you guys. Oh, I was about to send it to the closing. Let's hear it. It's been a minute. Okay. So this one is one that I've asked a number of people, and the response usually surprises me, so I'd like to hear what you guys say. Let's say you're in a restaurant. You've ordered your food. Let's just say it's a, I don't know, a bowl of soup, (laughs) and they're bringing it over, and either you're going to find a hair in it. Now, you can pick the hair out and keep eating, (laughs) or... The waiter brought it over to you and his thumb was in the soup. Which would you rather? Mm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm going to just go out and on a limb and say, I'm not going to be too crazy picky either way. Um, but I would, I would, oh, gosh. Oh man, I got to go hair. I don't know where that thumb has been. You'll take the hair in it? I don't know ben? where the thumb's been. I don't really care. It's soup. It's hot. It's going to be sanitary. Like, but you just, which one are you going with? Hair or thumb? Hair's fine. No big deal. Now, yeah. see, I chose hair too, and everybody else that I talked to chose thumb. And I was like, hair's not that dirty. Like, your hair's just kind of exactly. sitting there on top of your head. Like, what are you, you doing with your hair? Hands, you're touching all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it could have been exactly. scratching his butt or something gross. So You just pick it right out, move on with your life. But, yeah, so, overall, I feel I'm going to say you know, I'm, I think not, this is, I'm not too picky when it comes to food, though. Oh, Chris, what were you saying? I'd say I'd go with a hairy thumb. perfect well we hope you guys enjoyed this episode thank you very much for listening if you're not already we are on instagram all the time it's modern maker podcast well not that account all the time we're we're there not as much as our own instagrams which are at four eyes furniture at modern builds and at benjamin ueda at dwell made if you want to keep up with that we appreciate that we appreciate you subscribing to the dwell youtube channel We're trying to get that all growing and getting an audience. And if you guys have not subscribed to that yet, we would appreciate it if you did. Uh, Give us feedback on those videos. We'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Um, So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Boom. Later. Later.
Whoa. <laughs> Coming in hot. Coming in. That was a hot take. I'm going to go high energy for the closeout. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs>